morning crypto good morning warriors hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel good morning crypto where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto related topics from some of the top crypto researchers in the world i'm your host abs joined by several members of our 3t family this morning we got the italian stallion mr johnny crypto mario also known as the node defender is joining us and we got a very special guest on GMC today. Some of you know him as Mr. XRP Las Vegas. We know him as Digital Perspectives, but Brad Kimes is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how in a significant development in the ongoing battle between the SEC and Ripple, Judge Torres has denied the SEC's motion for an interlocutory appeal. This decision has significant implications for the case as it narrows down the options for both parties involved. With the denial of the appeal, the case is now set to proceed in either April or potentially dismissed altogether. That's what we're going to be discussing today, and I'm very excited for today's show. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, today is a pretty exciting day for many reasons. We got Brad in the building XRP is not a security, but also I spent four hours on the phone with Spectrum fixing my Wi-Fi for today's show. So we are ready to roll this morning. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Well, Abs, I'm feeling live, like you always say. I'm super excited today. We've got Mario in the house. We got our man Brad in the house, who was great to see you the other night. Brad, love seeing you, and I'm so happy to get started. But let me start like I always do. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys for showing up. Every single day, Abs, I can't wait to hop into it. So much good news and to talk about it with our friend Brad here today. I can't wait to get started. Mario, we got even more good news involving Merlin. We are going to be creating a mock portfolio for the program. And I'm super excited to involve our followers in that. But before we talk about that, how you feeling, my friend? I love the shirt. Good morning. Yes, I love this shirt too. Uh, I hope everybody's doing amazing. Everybody in the chat, it's, it's great to be on with Brad. Pleasure meeting you for, for the first time. Um, it's a beautiful day, man. Like New Jersey is like, it's like, it's like a hot day summer here. It's like 80 something degrees. It's amazing for, for October. Hope everybody's doing well, sending everybody love and let's get the show on the road. Well, Brad, first of all, we got to start this thing off with a congratulations because anybody who was at the XRP event remembers the shout out that Brad Garlinghouse gave you on stage for XRP Las Vegas. Congratulations on this whole journey. It's crazy to see how quickly this community is evolving, but how are you feeling this morning? And what did you think about the event? Well, look, the event was incredible. Can you guys hear me good? You hear me? Okay, good. So, yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. Shout out to you. Shout out to Johnny. Shout out to Mario. It's great to be here with you guys. Shout out to Coach JV. So, uh, and, you know, look, I, I was humbled and honored, you know, uh, to have Brad say that on stage about XRP Las Vegas. And, I, you know, I, I still i am like, wow. You know, you know, you don't know where things will take you, you know, but um, – you know, we had a talk, all of us, before we went live this morning, and we were just having a general conversation about the fact that, you know, I'm not a competitor. I'm a creator, right? I'm a content creator, and I produce things. I produce my show. I produce music, right? I produce all kinds of things, right? I produce conferences, and that's what happened. And, you know, if you allow yourself that room to really just kind of grow and expand, and just kind of, you know, try to be aware of what's in front of you. You know, you never know. This was going to be just a private DPMG, my private group meetup. And it just quickly blossomed into a full-on conference. 
And I, I, I'm very grateful for the way it came out. And I'm very grateful for uh, Brad Garlinghouse giving us a shout out on stage. It meant a lot. Well, let me ask you, I'm sure you've seen his new tattoo. What are your takeaways from him tattooing XRP on his body? You don't get a $5 XRP tattoo, I tell you that. I have to wonder, though, did that tattoo cost $589? Here's the real question. Was that really Brad Garlinghouse? I couldn't tell by the picture. I got to say, that guy had some some solid biceps, so shout out to Brad if he's working out. We already got got the guns. You know what I mean? You got to give a shout out where it's due. But we got 258 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button, and we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates throughout the day. Johnny Crypto, I've narrowed down the bubbles to just some of our favorites this morning. As you can tell, XRP is up nearly 5% on the day, XLM 2%, and Matic up about 3% on the day. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at $1.07 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 18%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 27,300. Ethereum, 1630. And XRP hanging out above 50 cents at about 53 cents this morning. And Brad, we're going to talk XRP, but I wanted to get this thing started with a picture of the event because we have the fortune of actually shaking hands once again in person. It's always so special when we come together. Really briefly, I'd like to get some more comments on the event. What was your biggest takeaway? People were anticipating announcement. We saw the conspiracy theories with the IPO banner. What did you take away from the whole event? Look, I I, I didn't think anything was going to happen other than a celebration. The way Brad Garlinghouse said at XRP Las Vegas that we were going to win and we were going to have a proper party when we win, right? And Brad Garlinghouse is a man of his word, and that's exactly what he did. And everything about that event was amazing. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, as somebody who deals with, you know, a certain level of attacks every day, because I don't engage with other people, I get attacked and I do not engage with other people. So I'm a victim of being attacked all the time. And people confuse that for a beef sometimes, but I don't, I don't engage back. But what I can say is, is when you have the opportunity to go to places like XRP Las Vegas or the proper party. And you actually come in contact with people like yourself and like all the other 3,000 amazing, beautiful people that were in that space. And you have an opportunity to one-on-one look them in the eye, give them a hug, shake their hand, take a picture, right? And just share that physical contact. We are social creatures, right? And I don't know about you, but when I go to events like that, you know, you obviously got to be careful and do the right things. But, you know, having the opportunity to really meet some of the people that you're in their lives every day, their routine of their morning get together or with their commute to work or whatever it is, or when they come home in the evening, I don't take that for granted, man. I mean, you know, and I know you guys don't either. So I know you're feeling this, but you know, it's like, it is truly humbling when you get the opportunity to, to shake somebody's hand or give them a hug or just take a picture with them and just say thank you to them, right? Because, you know, you get to go into to be in their life every day, but you don't know you're in their life, right? You just see that you had this many views that day, right? So it's just a beautiful thing to be able to, to meet those people, share that energy with them. And my gratitude and my love cup runneth over, my friends. 
And what was so exciting, Johnny, is we actually had a very similar conversation before the show. Meeting people in person is completely different than seeing a number on a screen. It can be 400 or 5,000 or someday over 100,000, but it's just a number. When you get to meet the individuals, That's right. it's so much more impactful. So I'd like to get it some was, statements from you before we continue. Well, you know, it was incredibly humbling. When you actually get to meet people and you, and you, and you hear in their voice how you've helped them and how they, 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 you know, they're looking for, you know, either your, their morning routine or their, your afternoon routine, you're part of their lives now. And to just hear that, you know, we impacted so many lives. I don't mean we here, but we, the influencer base, you know, Brad and everybody there, that to me was the most humbling and exciting part about the whole thing. So many like-minded, like it was literally just a big ball of love in there. Everybody from this community has the same like-minded everybody's happy and uh, I just found it so amazing to be able to I didn't realize we were helping so many people I really yeah. didn't I didn't really expect that and when people just come up to you and they give you this big hug thank you for changing my life you're like holy crap it matters it means a lot we really are helping we are really are creating and so you know yeah there's gonna be haters out there and that's okay you know what we're just gonna continue to show love and do what we do and create content and be be the best we can be like Brad, you know, like, like Brad mentioned, and that's it. It's all we can do. That's it. And, uh, and, and the good will come in the end of the day. The good will always win. How about Letty Kravitz right quick? Oh man. He was jamming. Ripping it. (laughs) That was iconic. And that was the big announcement of the night. I think Brad, unfortunately, but we got 303 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button and check out the breaking news of last night as the SEC's motion to appeal the loss in the ripple case was denied by Judge Torres. And we are going to break down the details, Brad, but I want to kick it straight to you. When this topped up on your Twitter feed, what was the first thing that came to mind? Well, it was like, guess who's not sleeping tonight? Because I saw it like, like <laughs> last night. And it was like, I couldn't even sleep. I mean, it was that powerful, right? It's just I tossed and turned all night. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't the only thing on my mind. It was. I'm just rolling around with it. And I'm 12 years short of a law degree, so then I'm lost in that sauce too. So I couldn't wait this morning to get a hold of John Deaton. I literally, like last night, I was like sending him a message. Hey, man, you free in the morning? I need to I need to get like the official, uh, you know, FYI on this. And and thank you know, big shout out to him. We did it. We did an interview. I just released it just before going live here on the show. And I have to say. You know, do you want me to talk about some of the takeaways that we of had? Course. In that? Of okay. course. Okay. Please so go. some of the things that really kind of stuck out to me from what John Deaton had said is that essentially, you know, the appeal is denied, but the way that Judge Torres responded to the appeal in denying it has made it what he referenced a bulletproof appeal. Right. So now it is bulletproof from being able to appeal then. And I'll paraphrase because I know I won't get it right if I try to go word by word with it. Right. You know, but essentially I was like, okay, well, what's left here? And what's left is that they they can go after Brad and Chris individually. And I asked him, I said, how much longer are they going to continue to smear these people's good name through the mud, knowing that they haven't done anything wrong Then he highlighted he said, well, if they were to go to trial, 
Brad could get on stage or on, on the stand and basically just suggest like, Hey, you know what? Let's get William Hemming up here and subpoena him. Right. And all the inconsistencies and what he did, or let's look back at FinCEN and, and that ruling that we built off of, which shows that we're not reckless because we had a justified ruling from FinCEN back in the day. Right. Or other elements like that to lean into or the fact that the SEC was allowed to buy XRP all the way up until 2019 or so. So it's like or even beyond that, I think it was. So, you know, you point to those things and it gets pretty hard because you have to prove recklessness on the individuals. And I don't think that they could do it by a long shot. And then the idea is still on the notion that XRP was a security. But we know it isn't. So literally, they're at a place now where there's truly nothing left except except the ability to obstruct the IPO. And I think they could absolutely and, – and look, we can't put anything past these people, right? So I think they would definitely use – and this is my – speculation i would expect the sec to use the obstruction of the ipo as a negotiating tool to get a check and as john deaton has always said they could make it a big check and everybody in the crypto space knows that the sec would lose and that would be a loss for them but publicly nobody else knows that and publicly the sec and gary gensler could claim it's a big win for them and I would imagine that Brad Garlinghouse, as Deaton said, would probably sign that check. And I wouldn't blame him just to get it done. But then it harms the rest of the crypto space because Ripple would have clarity. Nobody else would. And who's got the money to fight them the way that Ripple did? That's what that's what concerns me. The important question that we asked in our live chat right now, and I really want you guys to vote on this. Do you think we're going to see some American adoption this year? There's no now the appeal has been denied. The interlocutory appeal is behind us. Our next date to look for is April. And that's what Jeremy Hogan is explaining in this tweet. He said the SEC's motion for an interlocutory appeal has been denied. This means the case either goes to trial in April or it goes away forever. And in this order, allowed Judge Torres to explain parts of her ruling even better, making the appeal much harder for the SEC to win. And that's what you just regurgitated from John Deaton this morning as well. But Johnny Crypto, I want to ask you a question. We've been waiting for a very long time for this particular denial. And we've said it on this show. We thought this is what's going to happen. What do you think the SEC is going to do here? Brad thinks the only leverage that they have is the IPO that Ripple's going to try to make. But if they become over leveraged, I would recommend Ripple goes overseas. They've got much friendlier crypto corridors that they could set up shop in. So what leverage does the SEC really have now that this has been denied? Well, I think at this point, the SEC is best off trying to get as much money out of Ripple as they can in the settlement. I mean, they pretty much have lost every single every single round. If this were a boxing match, they lost twelve out of twelve boxing. I mean, they're in trouble here, right? You just you just be happy to take a a close mark. And Brad said it earlier: take the money and they'll go out and claim a win. They're already claiming a half a win because, like, well, institutions still can't buy it to security, right? So they kind of they kind of took as much of a they tried to make lemon out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons, right? So. I think what's going to happen here is if I'm them, I'm, I'm trying to walk away with as much. Now, at this point, you just try to extract as much money as you can out of them. I actually think they're going to lose some money. I think they would have gotten more money before this appeal. So I think it's in their best interest at this point to just settle. You can see they, they have no leg barely to stand. Now, I know the next portion of the case is really just directly for against Chris Larson and, and Brad Garninghouse in terms of, you know, 
their own as a personal uh, piece on whether they were compliant in you know in this whole thing. So to me, I think that part will will go away. They'll pay some fee, and that's it. End the thing and move on. And doing an IPO external from the U.S. makes no sense. The, all the money's here. So if I'm Brad, I want to be doing an IP here and the IPO here in the U.S. during the peak of the bull run, just like Coinbase did it. So it's in their best interest, too, to settle the damn thing as quickly as possible, shake hands with the SEC, and begin to move forward. Because, unfortunately, they can't do a lot without SEC approval. The SEC can really clamp you down and prevent things. So it's in both parties' interest at this point to make this thing go away as quickly as possible, in my opinion. Brad, I'm kicking it straight to you, but I want to read a couple of stats from the hearing yesterday. One of these lines really stuck out to me. Number two bullet point from Judge Torres' ruling was that Ripple's programmatic sales represented less than 1% of the global XRP trading volume. And I think that just goes to show we often talk about how centralized is Ethereum compared to XRP. It's stats like this that really set us apart. Ethereum has received a free pass from the narrative among retail investors too. Everybody focuses on Hinman. If you talk to the average consumer, they think Ethereum is decentralized. So what did you take away from this ruling? What were some of the most important stats that you read after the Torres denied after Judge Torres denied the appeal? Well, I think it was the way the language, generally speaking, not any one particular thing. There was multiple things. But for me, honestly, it was the language that Judge Torres used was so harsh and so clear that John Deaton said it best. It really created a bulletproof appeal. Like, it is bulletproof now, essentially, the SEC doesn't have much room to go and run either way you look at this thing. So, and I'd like to add to the point too, David Schwartz had, had said, uh, John Deaton said this during our interview that uh, uh, the XRP ledger is more decentralized than Ethereum. So, you know, a lot of people don't like that, right? They don't like to hear those facts, but yeah, drop the mic right there, right? So yeah, they could take that up with David Schwartz. We, we just had boom in the house right there. So, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think collectively it's, it's, it's that same, you know, like the uh, lack of a faithful allegiance to the law. It's that same verbiage where you can hear the judge is tired of the SEC's approach to this case being less than what it should have been mario obviously you got the xrp shirt on so i know you're going to give me a good xrp take this morning they're still going after chris larson and brad garlinghouse and that's what brad explained earlier in the show the only leg the sec has to stand on is going after brad and going after chris which we know they got the money to defend themselves against the sec but guys we already have 401 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button i want to say thank you to brad one of our listeners asked, is there going to be an XRP Las Vegas 2024? Before I kick it to Mario, Brad, I'd love for you to answer. Please say yes. We are in talks. Fingers crossed. We're working on it. I can't say anything just now, but, you know, we're working to make it happen. We're doing everything we can to make it happen. Hang in there. Great question. And I love that you asked it. We got a saying, hang on like a tick on a dog. We're going to be doing that in Las Vegas next year, guys. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that event. And I know that Brad will make it happen. But Mario, with the programmatic sales being out of the question now, Judge Torres officially agreed with Ripple. What did you take away from all this news? And we'll dive into the statistics. Yeah, it was a, another confirmation. I mean, it, the road's clear now for, for XRP in the United States. So it'd be really nice to start to see, you know, some adoption in the United States. I think as far as your question and the poll that we have in the chat, for me personally, I don't think we're going to see anything this year. I think that institutions are still going to be 
somewhat on the sidelines or, you know, these partnerships are still going to be somewhat on the sidelines for as long as this case looms uh, on top of Ripple. Um, although we've have, we have the clarity for XRP as an asset, you know, we really need to see this come to a close, whether it's just going to be, you know, thrown in the garbage or, or they're going to get a slap on the wrist, pay that, pay that, um, you know, pay that fine or whatever it is. But I really think that things are looking, you know, very bright for XRP. And um, yeah, the road is as clear as it's ever been. And it's the it's technically the only asset with with legal clarity in, in America. Brad, the important question I'm going to ask you is about XRP and American adoption. But I want to start off with this video right here, because for a long time, Gary Gensler has been called out by people in the crypto community. It turns out Gary Gensler has been called out by much, much higher ups. We're talking about the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, calling out Gary Gensler and the corruption that took place during the CB. I'm going to mute myself here and just play the video, actually. By miraculous coincidence, but you have to hear this, the head of the SEC was the chief financial officer of crooked Hillary Clinton's campaign. I said, who is he? He doesn't seem to be very reasonable. It's not even after me. They're after these poor guys. They said, we'll have to finance you back at the end of that. They would serve the subpoena because they're trying to silence us. But the head, think of it, the head of the SEC was the chief financial officer of Crooked Hillary's campaign. Interesting. And I didn't use Crooked Hillary. That was Donald Trump, my friends. But Brad Garlinghouse, I'm not Brad Garlinghouse, Brad Kimes, I want to kick it straight to you. What do you think? We're witnessing what we were calling the clearing of the house earlier today. We had Patrick Henry step in as Speaker of the House. <laughs> A lot of shifts taking place in America. What do you take away from all the narratives going on today? Well, look, I mean, the political pieces are moving around on the board quite a bit, right? Um, at the end of the day, I feel like, I mean, I'm one of those people that I don't really have a political affiliation, right? So uh, I'm following the money. And when I see moves happen like this, it's because the money's not happy about what the political pawns are doing or not doing. So he's gone, right? <laughs> Johnny, give me some takes here. I'm, I'm going to kick it straight to you before I get into the content. Abs, if you remember... I wrote this down about six months ago, and I said, make sure you follow these senators. These are the pro, whoops, I mean, my finger. These are the pro crypto senators. You see who's on there? See that guy right there? You know who that is right there? McHenry. That's the guy that just slammed the gavel. That's the guy that's now in charge of the house, and he is a pro crypto friendly senator. And I told you, this is what we need. <laughs> Bam! I love that. Slam that old bitch. I love that. I'm pretty this, sure Judge Torres did the same thing to yeah, the yesterday. Yeah. We just saw the footage. Yo, he almost broke that thing. Look at that. He might snap that handle. Yeah, that boy's got. He's he got really a He's got a hell of a right hand. Let me tell you. But listen, <laughs> that's the kind of guy we want to see up there. And you know, I don't know if he's going to win it. Hopefully, he will become the next, you know, the head of the next uh, of the of the, the house. Um, but that's so important because we know. What have I been saying on the show for a year and a half? We need balance on the other side of crypto. We have an anti-crypto faction in Congress that's running rampant, right? Operation Choke Point 2.0 in play. Now you've got, you know, at the top, potentially on the Republican side anyway, uh, pro-crypto people in charge. Very, very positive, bullish, good sign for, I think, crypto in the long run. Now, obviously, until we get a, a real change at the top, I think there's always going to be some battle, but at least now we finally, you know, we start to level out the playing field a little bit. It's certainly going to help us. I do think that soon we will see the end of Operation Choke Point 2.0, you know, hopefully come to an end soon, or at least now have people on the other side 
to offset the bounce. You see these guys drilling Gary every time he comes into uh, their committees, and and that's what we need. So so this is actually, I think, a, a multi-great day. You got the XRP is not a security. That appeal has been squashed. Now you got a pro crypto guy running, con, you know, running, running the house. Very, very. It's a great day. We got to have Brad on more often. <laughs> An exciting day. And Brad, if you can remember, after the XRP ruling, you were one of the first guests we had on the show. The ruling was on Thursday. You jumped on the show on Friday. So there's some sort of coincidences going on here. <laughs> and on our channel, we always say this. We don't believe in coincidences, just unrecognized patterns. But I want to kick it over to you. We've often talked about how Gary Gensler is preventing the crypto industry from thriving. Do you think it's a Gary Gensler issue or is the next SEC commissioner just going to have the same rule book but a different face? Well, you know, I, look, Abs, that's a fantastic question. We don't know the answer to that, right? Uh, I don't want to sidestep this, but uh, I, I have to say something. So I don't know if you guys saw the BIS report that had Category 1 and Category 2. I don't know if you saw that particular report. It came out a few months ago. And there is a crypto one or crypto one A, crypto one B, and then there's a crypto two section, right? Well, and I, I'm sorry, category one A, category one B, and then a category two section. In category two, it, they they put a 1250 percent weight risk on crypto assets like Bitcoin. Okay, if the banks are going to be involved with them, that's what the mm -hmm. BIS was saying. Right. In category one and category one B, they have these assets that are traditional converted tokenized assets of traditional products or stablecoin products. What is interesting about this, and I'm building this off of what you asked about whether it's Gensler or someone else coming into the SEC chair is, I'm hoping that we can avoid that with XRP because if you look at the automated market makers for XRP that are about to be introduced, which will really tighten the slippage on price, right? And because you delegate your XRP as an automated market maker, right? You get liquidity tokens and then you can earn rewards on those transactions that happen. And that's how they tighten the slippage, which tightens the price. Now, a stable coin traditionally is either an algorithmic stable coin or one that's pegged to a dollar, let's say, for example. What I find interesting that could be a scenario that we could see walking towards here is the idea that XRP with the introduction of the automated market makers tightens the slippage because it's a stabilization mechanism. And that may qualify it to fall under a stable coin designation. And it has not had the automated market makers before. And that would move it from the 1,250% high-risk crypto-weighted average that it would have to have to be in the banking world over to Group 1B, which would make it a stabilization mechanism under that. And there it is, my friend, right there. And if you notice, it says stabilization mechanisms. It doesn't have to be a peg, per se. It could be a stabilization mechanism. So... Mm, I'm speculating, but if you think about that, that would move it in group group one crypto assets, fulfilling that classification. And then you'd have a whole nother conversation because XRP would no longer be a crypto, so to speak. And right. words and verbiage are very, very important 
you know, when we're talking about legal clarity, we're talking about regulatory clarity, use in the financial system. I think Mario said it well earlier that banks are not going to mess around. They want ultimate clarity. They're not going to take chances and risk. They have this case hanging over them. <clears throat> I just feel like if we get that kind of designation, it don't matter who's at the SEC. That's right. I think I think you're right, Brad. When it comes to there's two different things at play here. You know, you've got it, it, the SEC, if, as far as we can tell, anyways, seems to be a puppet. They're just kind of doing whatever at the top is telling them to do, right? And I, and I think if if we were in a pro crypto environment, I think you would see a different Gary Gensler, to be honest with you. But the reality is, he's been given an order and he's following those orders. But when you talk about the classifications, and if we do, if we can move from a high risk classification to a low risk. <laughs> Plus, it has the clarity around it. I mean, we all know that nobody's, none of the big boys are going to invest in anything until there's SEC clarity. They can't. Banks can't do it. Institutions can't do it because the SEC will come come after them in a heartbeat, right? But yeah. so, given the clarity here and moving that, shifting it to a, a lower risk class, that is certainly going to be super bullish for XRP if it does be able to meet whatever standard they create for this uh, stabilization mechanism. That could be very, very interesting. Johnny, you brought up something important and it really caught my attention. You said the problem is that Gary Gensler is a figurehead for the people at the top. A lot of times we use those words and we don't give the specifics. Who's at the top, guys? The bankers. Why are the bankers anti-crypto? They make $240 billion a year transferring value. And crypto is working to erase all that profit for the banks, Brad. So what's it going to take to see a shift? Like, or Johnny, did you have a response? Well, it's not. It's not. So think about this. You're right. The, you know, they're at the top. They're controlling and pulling the strings. But the reality is this. Right now, this technology kind of hurts them, but they're going to get their fingers into it, and they're going to find a way to make this technology help them. Remember, this is a cheaper, better solution. It's lower cost, it's faster, it's quicker. If they don't reduce their fees and they implement a lower cost solution, they actually make more money. So the reality is it all depends on how they want to play the game. To me, I think it's just a matter of they don't want to get left behind, and they don't want other systems and solutions and competitors to take that technology and move before they can take it and move. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, again, just my pure speculation, but I totally think that the delays in all this was so that they can get their grips around it because they're not going to let this thing. It, it's too good to they're not going to be able to stop it at this point. So the next best thing is they now need to own it moving forward. And I think that's what we're seeing happen. But I'm curious to see what Brad thinks. Yeah, look, I think you nailed it. I, I I absolutely believe that this is, you know, the you're you're going against the central monopolists, right? They they're the king of the mountain. And if you understand that there's only a small handful of JP Morgan, Citibank, and one or two others that sit on top of the mountain for all cross-border payments, you know, you understand that, you know, JP Morgan is centrally controlling consensus and Ethereum behind the scenes, right? China's got what where all the all of that's happening with mining and staking. You know, if if we know that, then ETHgate makes a lot of sense why they wanted to slow down Ripple and XRP, right? So they could create a monopoly, launch a token assembly line off of Ethereum, and try to create it so they were the only solution. Not because it was the best tech, but because they use regulatory capture and the weaponization of government agencies to get the job done, right? So this is the level of what's at stake, right? This is the level. And look, I mean, JP Morgan, you know, the, these guys get caught 
busted, you know, doing silver manipulation, right? Or U.S. Treasury bonds. There's nothing that is beyond what they're willing to do, right, to make money. So, you know, is it hard to believe that they would do this? Not for me, it isn't. You know what I mean? So this is definitely the old guard versus the new guard. And because it's technology, I think Johnny's got it right. At some point, they're going to have to embrace it. You cannot turn away from this forever because if you do, it will innovate around you and then it will be a hell of a mess by that time. Yeah. And I don't think that these institutions are against crypto per se. I think they're just against the decentralization movement because that takes away power from them. And so I think this is all about just bringing it all in. I think Johnny is 100%. This is a cheaper, better solution. And they're just trying to do things in order to benefit from that, bring that technology in so that they can not only utilize it, make it cheaper, better, you know, uh, increase that, that profit margin, but also it's going to allow them to have more control. They're going to be able to track things even more than they used to. So I think that's, that's the bigger, the big agenda here. It's just all about getting rid of that decentralization movement and making it somewhat more, more centralized. Well, Brad, here's what I think is really interesting, right? We, we talked about how they're going to make a shift once they're able to profit off of this technology. It doesn't appear that they're trying to merge with what Ripple's doing or XLM's doing, for example. It seems like they monopolized Ethereum five years ago, and now they're building the infrastructure to profit off of that. What makes you think that the next SEC commissioner isn't going to have the same incentives, right? I don't think they're going to be anti-crypto, but maybe they'll be anti-Ethereum competitors and pro, quote unquote, decentralization. Well, you know, it's funny, like decentralization is a buzzword, right? What does it mean? You know, it there is I don't a, think it exists. I don't think a truly decentralized network can even function. It doesn't. It doesn't exist. It's a buzzword. It's a buzzword that was created to get Bill Hemmen to write that letter and try to be able to use that buzzword as real, as something substantial. What decentralization means in Ethereum is that we had disguised whales with multiple identities, which were the same people putting a lot of money in, acting like they were multiple people. So it would look more decentralized than it actually was, right? You know, um, it's just, to me, it's a buzzword. Nothing's decentralized. Bitcoin's not decentralized. If the What happens to the miners, right? Yeah. Where are the miners at? You take away the miners, all of a sudden, where's it at? Right. The Department of Homeland Security knows exactly who the four Satoshis are. And we got people putting this this asset, which, look, it's not a security. I'm not saying it's a security. The assets are not securities. But that was an unregistered launch of a product. Right. It's, it's just what it is, you know. And the truth is, to me, is that when you look at Bitcoin and where that's at, people are putting that in their look at MicroStrategy. That's in their public portfolio. If they come out tomorrow and say, oh, it's Bob, Alice, Tim, and, and John or the Satoshis. It's like, well, you didn't have that public disclosure information in your company and they unlocked the wallet and the price just crashed. You got a civil lawsuit coming against you for anybody that's holding that asset in a public company. Because you don't have any of that public disclosure. So, look, I'm not trying to be down on one or the other. We've spent a couple years looking at the idea that XRP might be a security and having to stomach that vomit. And I did countless videos on the way the SEC may or may not be looking and tried to deem it a security. That was wrenching for me to do. You know what I mean? So I can't be afraid to look at Ethereum or Bitcoin or any other project with the same kind of 
with the same kind of oversight or look. Well, for the time being, Bitcoin still controls this market, Brad. So I think it's worth addressing just a little bit of the Bitcoin narrative going on today. Earlier this week, I saw this tweet from Kathy Wood. She said the SEC will approve all of the Bitcoin ETFs if they approve any at all. What does that mean? We're going to defer to Mark Yusko. He said $300 billion in buying power could enter the Bitcoin market. And we're not talking crypto, but we're talking Bitcoin. And we know when Bitcoin moves, that liquidity floods into the larger altcoins and then moves through the smaller altcoins throughout the market. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because the Satoshi news that was going on too. Satoshi yeah. tweeted out for the first time, and, and I just lost the tweet here, but you saw what he said. Bitcoin's created for everybody. I'm going to explain why uh, Bitcoin will change the world. And I found the tweet, so I'll read it and kick it to you, Brad. Satoshi Nakamoto allegedly tweeted this out yesterday. He said, Bitcoin was created for everyone. The next having is an important predicted occurrence when transaction fees are meant to start supplying the mining subsidy. It's like a rhyme there. There are many who do not want to tell, to tell you the truth. It's not that they want to silence this account. They want to silence you. 2024 is the year of the dragon, and that's why he's indicating he thinks it's going to be a bullish year for Bitcoin. Now, let's go down the rabbit hole, right? We looked at his liked tweets. This appears to be Craig Wright. I don't believe this is the original Satoshi. We know who the Satoshi is. Four developers in California, Vitalik was probably one of them. But what do you think? There's a narrative going on with Bitcoin where it seems like America is ready to adopt this as a decentralized asset, or as Larry Fink called it, an international asset for everyone, right? So what are we on the precipice of for Bitcoin? Are we going to see another massive adoption phase like we have before? It goes Bitcoin, Ethereum, other altcoins, or is this going to be something different for the market? Well, these are all great questions. And uh, and look, and, and going over all of this just the way that we did, watch what I do. You know what I mean? If they approve that ETF, I'm going to get some exposure to Bitcoin because I know what's going to happen, right? I'm not an emotional investor. I'm looking to make money, right? So, it, it, and regardless of the facts that I just laid out, what I truly understand about Bitcoin, just like, you know, uh, it does appear that that Satoshi account may be related to Craig Wright, right? And um, kudos to you for finding that. And, and it also appears that if you follow Christian Anger, Agar Hansen, who is going out here and busting people open in this space like Project Veritas, he did the Kyle Roche and Avalanche and cracked that wide open was going on in there about how they were weaponizing lawsuits against anybody who was a competitor to them. This guy just exposed Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer that they're hiding and manipulating information to fuel the fact that Craig Wright was Satoshi and they knew he is not. And he released even some emails. And if they're authentic, and I don't know, but if they're authentic and genuine emails, it was appearing that Craig, uh, Calvin Ayer was telling Craig Wright, I and my family are not going over this cliff with you. You're going by yourself. So it seems like there is some kind of a real problem going on inside of this space with Bitcoin. And I know Bitcoin's different than BSV, right? But but the reality is, is there's, there is, you know, look, people will be like, ah, it's digital gold. Look, you find gold in the ground a riverbed, right? This is a code that someone made. Now that's fine to me. It's like, but we don't know who really made that code, right? So who made that code, right? And and, and I heard, in fact, uh, just the other day, I heard a clip and it was on the day 929 of the proper party. Uh, Joseph Lubin was giving a talk somewhere and bragging about the fact that North Korea loves Ethereum. 
Well, because we know they're disguised whales. How do we know that North Korea isn't the biggest disguised whale out of the whole bunch? I wouldn't be surprised. And that's the problem here. And that's the problem with Bitcoin, too, in its early day as well. We don't know enough about who created it and what the intentions are behind it. But again, I'm an investor. I'm a speculator in these digital hills. If they approve that ETF, daddy getting some Bitcoin, right? So <laughs> yeah, you better get the Bitcoin before they approve the ETF. <laughs> well, it'll be like they got approved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> you you got the finger on the button. You're yeah, ready. crazy too is that we're seeing the same narrative with Ethereum take place. At least with Bitcoin, we can understand why they're given the, not that we agree, but we can understand the regulatory pass, right? There's a difference there. With Ethereum, we can't even wrap our heads around it. And they're approving Ethereum futures ETFs right now. Nine products just hit the American markets that are either all Ethereum or split between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Give me your take there before we move on. Well, I mean, you know, again, you're like we're launching all these products on top of something here. And, you know, what, what, what's what, what happens to the actual ICO, the unregistered ICO here? You know, I, look, the one that Hinman got paid 15 million bananas to say it, that, it, that it, it is substantially. And what was the word he used? Uh, sufficiently decentralized. There's a great term that nobody knows what the hell means. It sounded like a $15 million term. <laughs> it was a $15 <laughs> you know? million definition. So, you know what's funny about all of this is that it, I think, look, if we just pull back the macro and not, you know, I don't want anybody to think we're targeting any single one, right? I mean, again, we've had to spend an enormous amount of time, certainly on my channel, looking at the idea that XRP was a security, which used to kill me. To make those videos but as an investor it was a discipline it was like no 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 fella you got your money into this thing you're gonna look how could this go wrong for you right and i think the biggest thing is to just pull back and just understand what's your personal comfort level for exposure into any asset whether it's bitcoin ethereum or xrp or something else right and that's really what we're doing is we're just having a conversation here not trying to poke holes in any one thing but just trying to make people understand that hey you know uh we got this you can have this you can have it's like picking something to eat you know what i mean you know this might have too much spice in it for you but this is over here, right? You know, this may not taste good enough and be too bland, but this is over here too. And really everybody has to find their own level of app or appetite for risk, you know, and exposure. And as long as you understand what you're being exposed to and what those potential pitfalls are, have at it. You know what I mean? Have at it. Johnny Crypto, we're about to dive into the details of this Ripple ruling, but we got 464 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Brad once again, not only for joining the show, but for setting up XRP 2024, because I know that's got to be in the works, my friend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll be hey, I'm, I'm already booking my tickets. <laughs> so here, were the, here are the seven key takeaways from the Judge Torres ruling, and this is directly from the document. Ripple's programmatic sales could not lead investors to reasonably expect profits from Ripple's efforts, and this is huge. This is groundbreaking here. So Ripple's programmatic sales were blind bid-slash-ask transactions, and programmatic buyers did not know if their payments of money went to Ripple. Very important detail. Ripple's programmatic sales represented less than 1% of the global, uh, global XRP trading volume, and Ripple did not make any promises or offers because Ripple did not know who was buying the XRP. 
Many programmatic buyers were entirely unaware of Ripple's existence, and the programmatic sales were not made pursuant to contracts, meaning there wasn't a contract here in the investment contract clause. So another L for Gary Gensler. Uh, the SEC failed to provide evidence that Ripple's programmatic materials were distributed more broadly to the general public, such as to the programmatic buyers. And the SEC also failed to provide evidence that objectively and reasonably programmatic buyers understood the statements made by Larson, Schwartz, Garlinghouse, and others who were representing Ripple and its efforts. Bingo. One final bullet point here, guys. The SEC failed to provide evidence that the programmatic buyer could parse through multiple documents and statements, leading them to believe they had no idea what Ripple would be doing to generate profit. The doors have been blown off this thing, Johnny Crypto. We're starting with you and kick it to Brad. There's no hinges left. The hinges are gone. The frame's gone. There's nothing left on that zone, but they blew that thing so wide open. But the thing is, <laughs> don't hurt yourself. Don't break a rib laughing, bro. <laughs> yeah, the reality is, you know, when I when I look at it, first of all, what do I say? When you look at a security, it's all about how it's being offered. You That's have right. to look at that. Okay, because this, again, this bottle of vitamin water can be a security or it can't be a security. It's all how I offer it to you, right? But the thing that's weird to me, like when you just read that list, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, did the SEC really even want to win this? Because they have to go and prove each one of those points. So they're either incredibly incompetent that they couldn't go. I mean, they had to know when they threw the case out that they either had a strong case on each one of those things or they didn't. And they literally didn't. They had nothing. It's almost like, hey, we're going to throw this out there. We're going to delay Ripple for two years. And then, you know, yeah, we're, we're probably going to lose this. It's almost what it feels like. Like, they didn't even put up a fight. They really didn't. They literally lost in every aspect. And if you're going to throw a lawsuit out there, you would think ahead of time, you know, like, okay, yeah, we know that they did this. We know that they, did. they didn't even, their number one witness got thrown out. And so I almost, it makes you kind of question. Did they really want to win it or was this a stall tactic to slow down Ripple because of what you said earlier, that they end up having a technology that was too good that they were scared of? Now, why didn't they partner with Ripple? I don't understand. We know that Ripple had a partnership with one very, very strong, powerful bank in the industry, and then that fell apart. And, and interesting, when that fell apart, then a lawsuit came. So, you know, I don't know. I'll let you guys put the pieces together, Abs. But it just certainly feels like, the SEC didn't care whether they win or lost this case. They just cared about delaying Ripple. At least that's what I sense. I don't know. That's my two cents. Brad, I'd love to hear from you. Do you agree with Johnny Crypto? The SEC accomplished their goal of hindering Ripple's growth in the United States. I do. I think that's exactly what it was. I think they were. I think that Gary Gensler and I, honestly, and it was the lawsuit was dropped by Jay Clayton. So there's a Republican appointee bureaucrat. Right. And then there's a Democrat appointed bureaucrat that took over for him and carried the baton even further. So the way I see it, no matter what side you sit on, you know, what we saw was is the bidding being done for the central monopolist through the SEC government agency. That is the weaponization of government. That is regulatory capture from where I sit, my personal opinion. And I think that's what we saw. And I think we're still seeing it today. And I think they're going to continue to do it. And that's why I think the chances of a settlement just went through the roof because if they don't settle, it's going to really run them up against a wall where it becomes very difficult for them to move forward and pursue the rest of the space the way they've been doing. Yeah, they better take the money and run. They That's kind of where let, I'm at. 
They might not have Judge Soros write any more stuff down on paper. Yeah. That's going to take away. I mean, Judge Soros just ripped the teeth right out of the dog's mouth, right? I think so. I think so, Johnny. Johnny, and this is another important detail. Everyone's wondering, what does this mean? What's going to happen next? Frederick Spoli chimed in on Twitter. He said the trial is set for April 2024 and will probably be an eight-week trial, if not longer. Pre-trial motions will be filed in December of 23 and the ruling in early 2024 that will cut down even more of the SEC case. After the trial, there will be a substantial post-trial motions for both parties. These will take a few months just before the briefing, likely completed around September of 2024. The appellate briefing in the Second Circuit would not be completed until around February of 2025, and the Second Circuit will take about a year to decide on the case. We're talking February of 2026. Johnny Crypto, you're going to be deep into retirement by that point. I guarantee it, my friend. So with all of this, the timeline has been extended drastically here. I think it's a huge win for Ripple, but I also think it's a huge win for crypto. How do you feel about the trial in 2024? Do you think they're going to dismiss this case or does the SEC have new legs to stand on? Well, again, this was kind of like a two-part trial. And the big part of it that everybody really cared about was the XRP part, right? Which obviously is done and won and we had the party and it's all over the next piece of it is more on the whole thing of uh, Larson and, and Brad's, uh, or, you know, were they complicit in, in facilitating the sales of illegal securities, right? And that part will be settled. I, I don't think that's as important. What I'm curious about, and 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 obviously next time, or maybe Brad can answer because they talked to John today, but next time we have Dean or Jeremy or Rispoli on, we got to get one of them on. What I'm interested to know is once that portion of the case is done, if you remember, thank you. I hope I'm in retirement too. Uh, just doing this though, right? You know, if you do, if you're working and doing what you do every day, you'll never work a day in your life. Don't ever forget. Amen, that. Johnny. Sure Amen. Your kids that. So anyway, what the hell was I saying? So oh, what I was saying was you want to make sure. Well, what I'd like to know is when this case is finally over and the whole Chris Larson piece of it. If you remember, Jeremy Hogan told us they can appeal again. Now, what I don't know is based on the 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 decline of this request of the interlocutory appeal, does that stop them from appealing the whole thing at the end? Because if you remember, Jeremy Hogan said that's really what they should have done. They should have just waited to the end and done it. Brad, I don't know if you could speak to that because that's the one part I'm a little unclear of right now. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I I asked John Deaton that, and I said, what's left? You yeah. know what I mean? What's really left? And that's what he referred to it as a bulletproof appeal. He said with the, the verbiage that, that Judge Torres came out and laid out in this denial of the motion to the SEC, that she's really made it bulletproof for them to go back and appeal. What's left to appeal, right? I mean, yeah. so it gets extremely tough. That's why I think it, you know, I've always been like it's going to the Supreme Court, you know, and we're going to get the ripple test, right? But I think now with this denial in the verbiage of this being so strong and so explicit, mm. uh, I think it really puts the SEC up against it that if you want to get a check and you want to come away with this with a supposed win, better you better it do it now and yeah. you better get it done before trial. Right. So, yeah. I, I, and I mean, I don't know, but that's just my take on it at this point. We're so shifting this conversation. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. Sorry. So it sounds like for the most part, they pretty much, took a shot now rather than waited and kind of lost. And now they're not really going to have the ability to appeal again, because I guess the same logic would be used against them that the judge used now. Right. So at this point, yeah, really then the reality is this case is, is it's done. Abs. The only thing left is just to determine whether or not Brad and, and, and Larson were complicit in illegal sales or securities. 
because you know they won that piece of it where where I guess it when they sold the institution. So who knows? That's what I think they're going to write a little check for to get out of that piece of it. And then this thing is done for the most part. It sounds like so that that's actually that's very very interesting, Brad. Because I wasn't sure if they could reappeal, but it sounds like Deaton saying no, they're done, they're cooked. And finally, that's big big news then for XRP. Yeah, they're up against it. No yeah. doubt about it, Brad. And one of the things that we've been talking about for quite a while is what's JP Morgan's role in this whole ordeal. We know that they were connected to the SEC. We know they're connected to Ethereum, but this is an interesting update. And we're going to talk about American adoption of XRP to close out this episode. We already got 470 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a 20 second video describing how JP Morgan is already transferring one to $2 billion worth of tokenized assets on their blockchain every day. We're going to discuss it. Here we go. So we have a platform called Onyx Digital Assets. It's a platform for tokenizing traditional assets um, like U.S. Treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, etc. We're doing between one to two billion dollars every day of trading of traditional so, so tokenized assets on this platform. So, 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 so a treasury. So I thought that was pretty prevalent because one to two billion dollars a day. We're talking over $350 billion a year at minimum. And what this user commented is Ripple is losing its competitive advantage because of the court case against the SEC. This was the motive behind the SEC's move on Ripple to capture a slice of the market before Ripple does. That fits perfectly into our conversation, Brad. So I'm going to give you the open floor here. JP Morgan obviously created their own product and it's up and functioning. What do you take away from this news? Oh, Johnny Crypto, I'm kicking it to you. Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, um, this is, uh, you know what, Abs, <laughs> I was replied to a customer. No, that's okay. Let me ask you, you something. Know, ask the question again, would you please? Go ahead, Mario. Uh, I was going to say, this is the problem with, with all this stuff. You know, like if JP Morgan comes out with their own product, they already have the customer base. They can put it in the hands of millions of people. And all the speculation into all the other crypto projects that we've been doing over the past few years goes down the drain. So this is something to definitely be aware of. Uh, you know, whatever JP Morgan does, even though it's JP Morgan, you know, we know what they're they're into, but we need to keep an eye on it because they have the ability to instantly put their product in the hands of millions of people. So we always talk about Ripple and XRP and obviously other crypto <laughs> projects having this technology and, and being the solution for banks. But at the end of the day, nothing's really preventing the banks from creating a solution themselves. And if someone like JP Morgan does it, then they, you know, they have the influence, they have the connections to be able to not only put it in their in, in the user's hands, but also offer it to to other other players. Brad, we've talked for a while about a shift into better technology, not the best technology. And I think that's what this is an example of here. The Onyx protocol allows JP Morgan to tokenize assets using the Ethereum blockchain. They're still paying high fees. There's still transaction time that, that's down constantly. What we are seeing is a better migration. We're seeing a move from the, the old version of assets to the new version, which is tokenized assets on top of a blockchain. First of all, does it surprise you that they're already doing one to $2 billion in volume a day? And what do you take away from this? Even this user right on Twitter is saying the SEC case was to deny Ripple's growth inside of the United States. Well, I mean, I certainly believe it was to slow Ripple down. There's no question about it. It was certainly used as a weapon. Um, but I have to say, you know, 
Look, there won't be one value protocol to rule them all, right? It's going to be just like the internet we're using today, right? You got a protocol for email. You got a protocol for file transfer. You got a protocol for websites, protocol for audio, video. All those things come together to give us one experience of the internet we're using right now. I think the internet of value is going to work much the same way. JP Morgan wants to use Ethereum and a private blockchain version of that for their business. You go right ahead and do it. But what we know is, is that Ethereum is a siloed island and it's going to need something to talk to it to get it to another network and so forth with other domestic private platforms. And I think that's where a role like, you know, XLM, XDC and other other protocols will come in and to serve like the XRP ledger for sure in that way to be able to bridge these systems when needed, not for everything just because, but when needed. Yeah. Another very important update. <laughs> I'm kicking it straight to you, but check this out. This is the roadmap for the ISO upgrade that's taking place in November of 2023. And I actually want to start with Brad because you're the reason I found this. I was going through your Twitter. You retweeted that article. So we're seeing the shift happen right now. November of 2023, there is a structural change happening in the banking system. We're not even going to talk about that. I want to talk about how could XRP be affected? Bank of America has been in talks with Ripple. We've seen many American firms acknowledge the utility of what Ripple's built for XRP. Why is everyone sitting on the sidelines? What are we really waiting for after the denial of the appeal from Judge Torres? Well, I have to guess. But I mean, I think it goes back to what I think it was either Johnny or Mario had said early on is that, you know, banks are very conservative and they're not going to get out of step with the regulators or legislators. It's just not going to happen. Right. And I believe that's the reason we've seen the regulators do the bidding for the banks. Right. The king of the mountains. Right. The gatekeepers. Right. The central monopolist. So for me, that's why we haven't seen them do it. I mean, but hey, who's to say that some of these entities, these financial institutions don't have a private holding company? over in Dubai somewhere, and they've stockpiled a bunch of crypto that they think is going to be a part of this new financial system. We don't know, but I wouldn't put it past them knowing what JP Morgan does with the silver market and U.S. Treasuries market. You brought up Dubai. Do you think they have a massive competitive advantage because of their tax policy? I want to ask you that broadly. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a college that's answer. Issue. Damn right. Seems yeah. like an issue for, for American markets because for the longest time, American markets have had the advantage. This is where the money is. You want to make money, come to America, get in here and work hard. You can do it. Yep. Seems like that's shifting worldwide. And we're actually seeing Singapore. We're seeing uh, the UAE shift massively when it comes to taxes. You don't pay any income tax in Dubai. If I make a $10 million bag, I'm keeping $10 million. If that happens in the United States. Let's say you live in California you may pay as high as 53% of your money to the government. And we've all seen what they've done. I don't think they can be trusted with that money. So you tell me, what's the what's the advantage to working in the American markets as opposed to Dubai? Do you think we're going to see a natural migration into these safer economies? I can only hope that we see the U.S. kind of curtail to what we're seeing out of Dubai, right? I mean, you know, we need less tax rules, right? You know, that's, that's what we need. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I don't know how many pages are in the tax code now. It used to be 60 some thousand pages. I'm sure it's probably more now even, but however many tens of thousands of pages of tax code it is, it's not tax code. That is loopholes. 
That's hooking people up. That's hooking up corporations. That's finding a reason to catch you here and to catch somebody there and then to catch this company there and to catch this company here. You know, it could be done very simple if they wanted it to, right? But they don't and they don't do that so they can claw more money in for themselves. You know, I think there, look, I I know that we have to have schools, roads, and bridges. I'm not naive, right? We got to have these things. There's a way to do those things. There's a way to get that stuff and keep a country running and healthy and strong and protected without really ripping everybody's earnings and what they're doing down to nothing. Because here in this, in the United States, I mean, I look all the time. I know I'm sure plenty of people in your group do this all the time. If XRP or whatever token it is goes to this amount of dollars, now I got to take off 30% for cap gains. Dang. You know, like you're like, what? You know, it's, yep. it's it is just it's horrific. Right. But I mean, I'm the kind of look, I got to pay my taxes. I got to do what I got to do. Right. But yeah, I mean, I hope to see something change in the tax approach here in the United States that would maybe look a little bit more like to buy. I would love that. Guys, we played a Trump video earlier. I got to bring out a classic. Here's a 30-second Trump clip about taxes. Did you use that $916 million loss to avoid paying personal federal income taxes? For of course I do. Of course I do. And so do all of her donors or most of her donors. I know many of her donors. Her donors took massive tax write-offs. And that's the funniest part about this whole thing, Brad. We complain about taxes because we're the smaller guys, right? We make less than $10 million a year. All the biggest players in the market pay way less in tax than the average I guess, 1099 employee, as you would say. So really quick, I just wanted to get some comments. We'll continue with the XRP stuff. Oh, look, I mean, you know, again, it just speaks to what I'm talking about. You know, it's like it's a hook a brother up. I mean, you know, it's this whole system is set up, you know, for the wealthy to get the loopholes, right? While the middle class and the lower class, you know, they get they get crushed. They just get crushed. Right. And, and to go even further, one step further, it's tough because most people that that don't have a lot of money, what they do have is in cash and then inflation eats you up what taxes don't take. So, you know, it's it's really, really a, a, a tough go, man. That's why, I, look, I tell people in my private group, I tell people on my channel, I'm helping people get extremely wealthy and I'm not shy about it. And I want you to get as wealthy as you possibly can. And then when you do. I want you to you know, feel an obligation within yourself to help other people figure out how to do it. Well, right? Brad, maybe we can provide something a little bit helpful right now because they often talk about the rich, sorry, the, the poor they spend, the middle class they save, but the rich they borrow against their wealth. And that's, that's what you right. can do, guys. This is something Coach JV just taught me this year. You can set up policies where you are earning interest on your account and also able to borrow against it. If I have $50,000 in this, let's call it a leveraged life insurance policy, what you can do is borrow against that 50000 but it continues to accrue interest at the original rate. That's what every billionaire in this country does. Patrick Bet David, Joe Rogan, this is the stuff that none of these guys talk about. Do not spend your money. Borrow against what you've already earned. And we got 459 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Johnny Crypto, it's been a while since we heard from you. So we're kicking it straight to you on this video. As Patrick McHenry is replacing the Speaker of the House yesterday. And we saw him... He slams this gavel here. Whack. So is it a new day? We're going to talk about the restructuring. We've got this picture with McHenry and uh, Chris Larson from back in the day. One of the founders at Ripple had a great crypto discussion with Patrick McHenry in 2016. Now he's Speaker of the House this morning, Johnny Crypto. Are we seeing a cleaning of the House? What's What are we witnessing right now? 
Well, first of all, go back to that picture. I mean, those those two guys are those two guys brothers. I mean, look at that. They can actually be brothers. I mean, they are cousins. You know, they're definitely uh, there could be maybe there's a, a bigger connection here than we thought. And like I always tell you, Abs, here I'll even say it. It's not what you know, baby. It's who you know. That's what matters. But no, I am really really excited about this change here. I I don't know where. Um, I forgot I, the, the name of the other chair just slipped my mind now. Um, who just got My, replaced. Was it, it was Michael something. I can't remember either. No, I can see his face. I can't remember his name. He just got ousted yesterday. Uh, but anyway, he, I don't know if he was pro or anti-crypto, but the reality is we do know that McHenry is, we know Emerus is, we know there's a whole bunch of, and for me, anytime I see somebody at the, you know, moving closer, you know, who has a high impact over this industry and is pro crypto, for me, that's a good thing. And I'm really, really excited to kind of see, that kind of change. I don't know what the heck's going on in Congress and why they're all fighting amongst themselves. And, you know, the Republicans are a mess, right? They can't even, can't even, oh, McC- McCarthy, there it is. I mean, McCarthy, McCarthy just got booted. Like, I think the first time it's ever happened in history, or maybe it's just crazy that they just cannot figure out, you know, they can't, they can't get along. It's just weird. They're a mess. But nonetheless, I'm excited to see McHenry, you know, hopefully he ends up taking the top seat. Hopefully he'll win because now they got to go and they got to vote and they got to figure out, you know, he's just the interim chair, right? So let's hope he gets it or somebody pro crypto gets at the top. And then moving into the next election, we see what happens. If we get a full sweep and you get a Republicans in charge, I really, truly believe you're going to finally, we're going to finally get maybe some crypto regulation. And think of all the bullish momentum that's coming. You've got the having coming next year, you're going to have, in my opinion, the BTC ETF, which I think is purposely being delayed, to next year. You're going to have the Fed maybe start cutting rates, and maybe you get regulation. Holy shit. Talk about all these things coming together at once. Plus, you got XRP Vegas 2024 hopefully coming as well. You add all that shit in there, and let me tell you something, man. We're just primed for a major, major bull run that I think is really going to, again, we need a liquidity event that's going to drive all this. And I think the BTC ETF and some regulation, oh, my God, if you get those two things, you want to talk about unlocking, you want to talk about a tidal wave, a flood of money coming into this space, man, you better have your seatbelt. Brad, Brad, you better hit that buy button. I know I'm going to have my seatbelt on because we're going to go for a hell of a ride and make sure – here comes a cheap plug, Abs. Make sure you have Merlin. Make sure you have your exit targets in place. Because, guys, when those prices go up, they come down just as fast. Don't get wrecked on the downside. Have your exit plan in place. You'll get those sell alerts and go hit the sell button and put some profits in your pocket. Brad, we only got two minutes left in this show, and I want to get your response to the Ripple news we got this morning before we close it out with a cool crypto question. Ripple gets a formal approval for Singapore payment license, and this is great because we're seeing the expansion worldwide. They've received a monetary authority license to now offer digital asset products in Singapore. They've been there for quite a long time. I just wanted to get a brief response from you. What do you take from this news? We are seeing the adoption of digital assets worldwide, and Singapore has been leading the charge for years. What do you take away from Ripple receiving this license? Well, uh, when I first saw this, the first thing that hit me was when I had Bob Way from Ripple on the show back in 2019. And he told me, he said, it only takes two. When you have two institutions really uh, clear and and working together, they will put the pressure on the rest of the system that they will need to come into what what is happening with XRP in the ledger. And when I saw that from Singapore, I thought, we just need one more. 
We just need one more. And, you know, for people that don't know, you know, Singapore is a gigantic financial hub to the world financial hub right so just like the uk is so i'd love to see singapore's done it let's see the uk or some other place and let's see it start fly uae let's start seeing it fly back and forth and then really watch the rest of the world fall in line because i believe that is really what it's going to take and we got one down and one to go we're halfway there baby and we got 440 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button the way i want to close out this episode brad is when you look way down the line, we're not talking one or two years, five years from now, where do you envision XRP? What is the narrative you think will be surrounding this project? Right now, it's all speculation. It's 589ers. We get the Ripple Riddlers out there trying to figure it out. I'm not asking you what you think the price target will be, but what do you think the narrative will be about XRP sitting here in 2028, 29? I think it'll be about an asset that's not backed by any state or government that's being used in the financial system, just like dollars from countries around the world. And if it's done right, and if it gets its way into the system the way it's intended to be, it will be a complement, not a threat to the financial system and the world will be a better place for it. I really do believe that. Thank you so much, Brad. And we're going to close this thing out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. I just want to give you a moment to remind people where they can find your content at Digital Perspectives on YouTube. I think it's at Digital Perspectives on Twitter as well. Please elaborate and then we'll close it out. Absolutely. That's where you can find us. And thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with Johnny Abs and to meet Mario. It was a pleasure, man. Loved it. We appreciate you guys. And Brad, we got the best live chat in the game. So I want to give a shout out to all of our live listeners as well. Definitely. We have... I want to say thank you to Johnny, thank you to Mario, and thank you to Brad Kimes, the legend himself. We got 454 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Woo, let's go.